This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. you doing oh i am doing well i'm doing well to everyone sitting at the edge of their seats vanya got her fridge fixed i got my fridge fixed hi i'm vanya i'm the rom and i'm avrin and i'm the crime and this is rom crime this is our true crime comedy podcast that has romantic hurricanes yes it does rock you like a hurricane (laughs) That's right. Hurricanes with a capital K. Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I feel like the last time uh, our country was in kind of a state of crisis was Hurricane Katrina. Like that was on like a massive scale, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's nuts. I want to start this episode by um, apologizing for an error I made in our last episode. And I so confidently was like, no, that was both of their names. The Black Dahlia's name was not Elizabeth Smart. Her name was Elizabeth Short. Oh. And Elizabeth Smart was only, or I mean, I'm sure there are more than one in the world, but Elizabeth Smart was in fact the young um, Mormon girl that was kidnapped, later found, but they did not share a name. And I love that I was like, no, it was both of their names, like with so much confidence. And (laughs) it it is Elizabeth Short. I uh, I had a listener, my mother, point that out to me. So um, just correcting that little mistake. That's hilarious. (laughs) Um, I love Betsy, our listener, mom, listener. Happy Mother's Day, guys. It happened a a couple days ago. Yes. Out of order. Well, guess what? It was Mother's Day when a couple days ago before we recorded this podcast in 2020. Mm -hmm. Mother's Day was what? uh, Yesterday. Yeah. It was full of Zoom calls and- That's all I did. Yeah. Us too. And not so not hugging our moms, but it's okay. You know, we will we'll hug them someday. Yes, we will. You know. Um, did you have a good Mother's Day? I did. You guys, we are just becoming the most annoying people in the world. World, we're baking bread and making gardens. Um, yeah. So we we created a garden, and actually, it's it was so fun. The That's kids great. And this morning. My kids woke up at 6 a.m., but as soon as the light hit, we all went outside and watered the plants. 
So I felt very in tune with the mother nature. Nice. And also you're teaching them like important skills and responsibility. So Mm -hmm. good parenting too. So yeah. So day two, they still like it. I'm sure there'll become a day where they're like, I don't want to go, but I kind of let them get dirty and they like that. So it was really nice. That's that's wonderful. I'm so glad. Yeah. And And otherwise things are good. Oh yeah. Everything's good. The fridge is my big, my big yes. I am so excited. It's like, honestly, so hard to get excited about anything because it's like, what, what, when's the other shoe going to drop? But, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually braved Costco today, which people, guys, put your, wear your masks correctly. I'm like avoiding people. It's just really stressful. It's, I, I know everybody's going through it right now, but like so many people over 80 at the Costco. Yeah. Why? Just why? And also like a mask isn't going to help you if it's around your neck That's what, <clears throat> or somebody- like under your chin, you know, and I saw so much of that every time. I mean- I haven't been to the grocery store in like well over a week, but even, you know, like going around my complex, like to go take the trash out or to go check the mail, I see people, I'm like, just put it on or don't, but like whatever you're doing right there, that doesn't qualify as anything. I know. It's just stressful. I'm like, I know we have some time for this all to happen, you know, further, but I'm ready for it to be done. Oh yeah. As we all are. I would love nothing more than to be doing this at the at the at your table, yeah. sitting across from you, not doing it over the internet, me and I too. look forward to the day we can do that again. Oh my god, me too! But I'm happy that we get to see each other once a week on these on the screen. That's true. I'm grateful for this. If nothing more, other than obviously I love doing this, but mm-hmm. I do. It's a guaranteed like lady date with you, which is always right. like one of my faves. So this week's episode was brought to you by. I want to make sure I get it right. Sorry, I wrote it down. Diari, who is um, somebody, a listener, who sent us a message on Instagram and asked if we would do the story. And we said, hell yes, yes, we will. We will do this story because it is like the rom-crimiest of the rom-crimes. Yeah, and it's a story that I had heard about kind of, I mean, there's just so many of them. I can't, it's not like I'm actively thinking about every crime I've ever read about all the time, but I hadn't thought about this one in a really long time. And it is, it is a, it is a sad story, but it is definitely a rom crime. It is. And I think that's one thing we're discovering the more rom it is. And then the crime, it's actually usually pretty awful. Yeah. The more like awesome love there is the harder, I guess the farther you fall. Yeah. The more you get, stabbed i'm kidding so so we're gonna start right yeah, i'm is... gonna talk about the beautiful woman oh yeah you you intro well, i was just gonna say this is the story of um or i guess the tragic story of zach bowen and Addie hall all right take it away Vaughn. Addie hall moved to the french quarters of new orleans um she was kind of uh, some people said she was similar to like hippie like she was a poet she was a writer a very free spirit, didn't really think she would end up in New Orleans, but was there for a while and was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. Let's live in New Orleans. So she um, worked at a place as a bartender um, on Bourbon Street called The Spotted Cat. Um, her friends or people who knew her, 
said she was always like kind of loved attention, like would as soon as you know things were getting boring would take shots give shots to the bar and start dancing on the on the bar but actually when men started to gawk she would be like fuck you get away from me so she was she was a multifaceted individual she kept a diary and uh in her diary it it reveals that she was unfortunately um sexually abused as a young girl um yeah, she she had a ton of bad experiences, and but yet a free spirit. Also, she had suffered from um, bipolar disorder as well. She met Zach when he started working at that same bar, the Spotted Cat, and yeah, a little bit about Zach. All right, so Zach Bowen was described by uh, most of his friends as a decent person. Nothing about him would ever make anyone feel guarded or nervous. And I thought this was kind of weird, but they, I, I read it in so many places. He was described as neither extraordinarily attractive nor memorably unattractive. <laughs> I was like, okay. So he was average looking. <laughs> That's a easier way of saying that. Um, he wasn't mean. He was um, just a pretty average American boy. He had lots of friends. He was very sociable. When he was 18 years old, he met an exotic dancer named um, Lana Shupak, or Shupak, who was 10 years his senior, 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 <laughs> older than him. She was Robin the Cradle. She was 28. He was 18. Ooh. The two got married and quickly had two children after that. So in order to support his, gro- his growing family, uh, Zach joined the military, and where he served uh, two tours, one in Kosovo and one in Iraq. And I think this is important to note that some of his time in Iraq was spent at Abu Ghraib or Abu Ghraib. Is that how you say it? Abu Ghraib? Uh, yeah. So we'll just, I'm going to sidestep because I, I think this is important. So Abu Ghraib is um, a prison that was located 20 miles west of Baghdad. And uh, during the early stages of the Iraq war, the United States Army and the CIA committed a series of human rights violations against the detainees of Abu Ghraib, including physical and sexual abuse torture, rape, sodomy, and murder. That is some dark, dark shit. Yeah. And the abuse was made public when photos that CBS News released um, photos of the actual prisoners, and a lot of them were of the prisoners being tortured, and the photos were taken by, like, American soldiers. So we don't have any idea um, when he was there, how long he was there, or anything specific about what happened in his time there. But we do know that that was a really bad place And I think when it comes to, and again, I'm not an expert, I've never been in the military and I'm not a doctor, but I think that in certain situations, you know, fighting for, for God and country, and you just kind of go along with what, what your, what your country is telling you you're supposed to be doing and how that must affect those who participated in those things, um, after the fact. So I just wanted to just put that in there, that that was something he experienced. And I think that that is important because I think that must have played a role in who he became when he came home. So it was also noted by his friends and family that he was a significantly changed person while overseas. Um, And when he was generally discharged instead of being honorably just discharged, even though one of his commanders had recommended an honorable, honorable discharge, um, he didn't get it and he just got a general discharge, which meant that his, he still would get like the, the vet 
benefits, I think, in the same like pension, but it was less money than if he had been given an honorable discharge. So he was also very bitter and disappointed about that. But the one thing while he was overseas that seemed to plague him the most was homesickness and he missed his wife and his children. And so the bright spot of being discharged was that he was going to get to come home and be with them. But that family reunion did not go as Zach had hoped or planned for. And only a few months after his return, his wife left him and took their two kids and not really knowing what to do with himself next, Zach decided it was time to start over. And so he started bartending in New Orleans. And that's a little bit about Zach. That's right. And then 2005, uh, the hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Um, and Addie was one of those people. She was, she didn't have a car. She didn't have anywhere to go. So she was like, I'm just going to ride the storm out. I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to stay here. And within the time there, her and uh, Zach, they started, I think of it as flirting, but um, people had said that maybe she was a little mean, but she would tease him and he would kind of take it good naturedly. And, but she, her teasing could be a little intense, I guess but he stopped by to give her some supplies. He was on his way out of the, out of town to leave. Most people left uh, New Orleans if they could, because Katrina was, they knew it was going to be such a bad, such an awful uh, storm. And he gets to her apartment and he just is overcome. And they're like, I can't leave her. So he decides to ride out the storm with Addie, Addie and Zach. And during this time, they fall in love. They basically, they're living on Bourbon Street and they're not quite sure what the devastation out in the outskirts of the city are, but they just know that they're in this weird oasis of like, people are bartering for supplies. Like they set up a little table where they would mix drinks for money and, and it was really exciting for them. Um, and I, I think like Addie put something in her, her, uh, her journal saying like, you know, we're, we can make the, we can make new rules now. And so they were, they were both feeling very empowered by like this altered universe. But of course it does come crashing down when, you know, the city slowly, slowly starts to open up. And they are learning about the devastation all around them. Um, so, and people are coming back, right? That was yeah. a big part of it. Is so, as you mentioned, most people evacuated, exactly. But a small group of people stayed behind. And another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that the French Quarter, where they were staying, didn't really flood. So the damage that they experienced as a result of Hurricane Katrina was nothing like what. New right. Orleans had experienced, but because there was no electricity, there was no phones, no TV, they had no way of knowing really how bad things were. And so they did, they kind of set up this, there were two, you know, people with troubled backgrounds and obviously struggling to probably to make ends meet. And all of a sudden they were living in a world where money wasn't a thing, right. you know, technology wasn't a thing. It was all like, I'll give you this if you'll give me that, you know, so they'd make drinks for, yeah, like food or supplies and they would have sing-alongs. I watched this great documentary that really talked about how like in the midst of all of this chaos, they found peace and like a, a sense of true peace. And one of the friends interviewed said, you know, New Orleans is a town that's open. The lights are on 24 hours a day. Like 
you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you want to go to a bar, that's not a problem here. And so collectively, this group of people who all worked also in that industry, all of a sudden life became slow and felt happier and healthier for them. But then yes, as things you know, started to, people started to come back. They didn't have the French Quarter to themselves anymore. Police presence was there. You had to pay for things again. And yeah, that kind of, kind of ruined their little, like, yeah, utopia they had created. Right. Didn't they say they were like, the helicopters came in and all of the relief, uh, it felt very chaotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They actually also said um, that uh, there was a noticeable change in um, Zach when they started to try to rebuild New Orleans because the presence of FEMA police, there was like military coming in to help rebuild, but there were helicopters and there were sirens. And he started to say things like, this is reminding me too much of the desert, started having night terrors, um, waking yeah. up screaming, started to kind of withdraw. But also you should mention about the the media attention they got. Oh, that's right. Yes. So they, you know, there's, when you look up Addie and Zach, the picture that pops up is this cute picture of them sitting on like a deck or the porch. I think you'd call it a porch. Um, And because the media was so starved for something good, they were looking for happy stories. Their love affair became a highlight in the media. It's like, you know, two people didn't know each other, stranded alone, fell in love. And it went all the way to like the New York Times covered them. So they had this like notoriety um, being lovers. And fairy tale romance. Yeah. But with all of the reality come crashing on in, my oh my, things were getting bad. And they started drinking more. Apparently, they both liked to drink and drugs. And um, the fights were getting bad. But to save their beautiful romance, they thought, you know, let's we should move in together. (laughs) Right. And one of my favorite things that was um, in her diary, she left, she wrote everything down. She really like documented everything. And there was something written in her diary that said, you know how some people have a baby to save a relationship? Zach and I rented an apartment. Um, I don't know in what universe like renting an apartment has ever, I don't know, maybe just like new location, new us. (laughs) was the thinking there. Um, Well, and it seems like also she, what started the tension was, you know, she was getting all, he was giving her all this love, I guess, you know, giving her all this attention and she gave him everything. Like she gave him her heart and everything and she couldn't ever quite crack him, you know, even when they were, they were in like the fun honeymoon phase. But then when it got bad, he completely sort of coiled up and shut down. Yeah, there was actually another, I'm, this is a little bit out of sequence, but I just want to read this quote because as you mentioned, she had a string of abusive relationships. She, her way of flirting with him was like that girl on the playground in kindergarten shoving the boy off the swing set, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then like kicking dirt in his face. But she did that because she liked him. Um, and so as they were falling in love, it was um, a quote was found in her diary that said, it was like he knew everything that others had done wrong before him and he set out to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. So she really like decided that he was different and that she was going to open up and give 
give right. like this love a chance. And so she really did give him everything, but he had a lot of demons mostly stemming from his time, I think in the military and whatever mm. happened to him there. Plus, you know, the horrible way he lost his family really quickly after getting home and didn't see that coming, but he never really opened up to her. And that mm. was incredibly frustrating for Addie because she was like a, she was a free spirited, you know, like poetry writing lover of life. And yeah. she had this guy that she thought was the same, but then he just wouldn't, he, he wouldn't fully open up to her. And then when he started to experience what I'm only assuming because he was never diagnosed with this and no, nobody knows for sure, but symptoms of what I think seem like PTSD. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. And he started to pull away from her more and more. Yeah. Then, you know, the things that they used to find cute about each other now when they're raging on cocaine and copious yeah. amounts of alcohol are leading to like full on like screaming matches and occasionally like physical stuff. They said right. that she like hit him all the time. Um, and so it was just, things were bad. So they were like, let's get a new apartment Yeah, and that will fix everything. And to note, she stopped taking her medication for her bipolar disorder as well. Right. That, helpful. Right. That doesn't help too. Cause when you're bipolar and you're taking your medication, obviously like the symptoms of that are handled. And what is I think important to note, because we're living in a time right now where we are seeing just how inadequate the healthcare system is in this country for like most people, just how, uh, terrifying it is that there could be a worldwide global pandemic. And that doesn't, if you don't have insurance, you still don't have insurance and you're still going to rack up a huge hospital bill if you catch this thing. Um, and so it's still very flawed, but the reason she went off her meds wasn't because she went off her meds. She could no longer afford them. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in other countries that have universal healthcare. Can you imagine not having to worry about that? No, I literally cannot imagine it because I've been worrying about not having insurance my entire adult life. Yeah. It makes me a little sick in my stomach. Well, because it's garbage. Yeah. It really is. Like, and it's, you know, it just, it's such a, it is such an, to me, I don't know, apparently not to everybody. Free market is king here. But to me, I'm like, it just give everybody healthcare. That, no, it's got to change. It has to change. Yeah. It does I mean, I, I mentioned this on my other podcast. We were talking about something, but like, and maybe I mentioned it here too, but we've learned that we cannot link our insurance or our healthcare to our jobs. It cannot be. So we have to find something else. And I, I mean, I'm all for universal health care. Why wouldn't you be? I know. I don't get it unless it's, you know, it's literally about money and that's what it comes down to. But I do think you're very right, Vanya. I think that's important to note too, that the volatility within their relationship not only coincided with this kind of military presence seeming to awaken dark things and scary things for him. Yeah. And then she went off her medication. And so I'm sure she was more you know, more highs, more lows. The fights when they would happen were way worse than they ever would have been mm -hmm. if she had been able to get her medication. So mm -hmm. I do think that's important. So as we mentioned, they're like, let's get an apartment. So they found this little apartment that was located above the New Orleans Voodoo Spiritual Temple. And I wrote underneath that, which depending on who you are, might actually be like a plus side to the apartment. Like that would be kind of fun. Like I'm living above a voodoo temple. Um, but the move didn't help no. as, uh, <laughs> shocking. It didn't Ooh. work. You guys, um, the couple continued to fight 
And uh, Zach continued to kind of push Addie away. And uh, only four days after they moved into the apartment, Addie went to the landlord, who was a man named Leo Watermeyer, and asked him if she could just sign the lease right then and there without Zach so that she could kick him out legally because he wouldn't be on the lease because she was going to kick him out because she had just caught him cheating on her. Right. And um, there's not a lot of information. They don't really get into it, but I do think that there's something again to be said about like dealing with inner demons that turns out the person that he'd been cheating on her with was a man. Mm -hmm. And um, for Addie, any kind of betrayal was like, that's it. That's over. Game over. So when Zach comes home that night, she's like, she throws him out. She tells him, you're not on the lease. I went and signed it without you. A huge, huge, huge um, fight takes place. And the next day, Addie didn't show up for work. And then she didn't show up the next day or the next day. And all of her calls went unanswered. And then curious as well was Zach was also missing and hadn't shown up to work. And then after three days, he just came back to work and he looked like shit, looked like he hadn't slept in days. He was wearing like sunglasses and just seemed kind of shaky and on edge. And he told everybody that Addie had left him and moved back to North Carolina and he was clearly devastated. And that's why they hadn't seen him in three days. Cause he'd just been like crying and getting wasted in his apartment. So after he'd come back to work, told everybody that she'd left, Zach basically spent all the time he wasn't working, just going from bar to bar, getting drunk all day and night, every day. And a, a mutual friend of theirs, and I feel like I'm going to butcher this, but I think it's Capriccio or Capriccio de Valles, mm. de Valles, Capriccio. I must, I like the way that sounds. Capriccio de Valles. <laughs> Not that he was Italian. I don't know what he was. <laughs> he might be. Um, but he was a mutual friend of theirs and he was feeling really bad for him because he knew how much they'd been in love and he knew that things had been bad for a while, but still he really thought like they were going to make it. And so he called um, Zach and just said, I'm just, I wanted to check in and see if you're doing okay. And Zach immediately said, do you know that you are the only person in my life who has called me to see how I'm doing? And that also made me sad to yeah. think like, you know, everybody knows that the love of his life has up and left him and like no one, and he's, everyone can see him getting drunk all over the town, you know, and clearly being sad and messed up and only one friend called and reached out to him. So he told him as a thank you for checking in on me, I'm going to take you out on the town and it's on me. And so the two men go to like several bars and several strip clubs. And then at 4 a.m., Zach stands up abruptly and says to uh, Capriccio, I got to go, man. I got to go on vacation. Then he hugged Capriccio and he turned and he walked away. So then on October 17th, 2006, around 8.30 p.m., the police were called to the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel because a man had jumped off the roof and landed um, on the roof of the parking garage. And while the police were searching the body for some kind of ID, they find a note in the back right pocket of the um, suicide victim's jeans. And the note is actually inside like a plastic sandwich baggie. And on the outside of the note, it reads um, for police only. So the police are like, okay. So they open up the note and this is what it says. So this is, this is the actual note. This is not accidental. I had to take my life to pay for the one I took. 
If you send a patrol to 8036 North Rampart, you will find the corpse of my girlfriend, Addie Hall, along with full documentation on both of us and a full signed confession from myself. The keys in my right front pocket are for the gates, Zach Bowen. So then the cops are like, wait, what? So they roll him over, they reach into his right front pocket, there are keys there, and they immediately race to the address in the note. And um, when they walk into the apartment, what they're about to discover is, is described by several of the officers as something straight out of a horror movie. So one of the first things that the cops notice when they enter the apartment is that it's freezing cold, like the air conditioning had been turned way up and the apartment is really cluttered. There's empty beer bottles and overflowing ashtrays like everywhere. And then they notice that there are messages spray painted on the walls. And some of the messages say things like, I'm a failure or I love her so much. Um, one of them I even said, think said like, call my ex-wife. And then there was a message for the police on the wall that said, go to the stove. So as police are making their way towards the kitchen, they noticed, um, they also, I'm just gonna go ahead and just preface this. This is very graphic, you guys. And um, Oh yeah, that's a good point because last time we did something this gross, <laughs> our friend Ashley almost threw up. <laughs> yeah. So just so you know, what I'm about to tell you is, and it's it's very graphic and it's very 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 um, upsetting. So just brace yourself, um, or I guess maybe take a break and like look at some puppies right afterwards or whatever yeah. you have to do to get through it. <laughs> so as police head towards the kitchen, they notice there are two pots on the stove and um, a, several cut up carrots and potatoes with a knife sitting on the counter. So. An officer lifts the lid on the pot of the front burner and inside discovers a human head that has been burnt beyond recognition. In the pot on the back burner, they find um, feet and hands also burned. And in the oven in a roasting pan, they find arms and legs. And then additionally, they find a torso in the refrigerator. The police also note that the uh, bodies or the body parts appear to have some kind of seasoning on them. Ugh. So you can imagine where people's brains are going now. So there's like cut up vegetables, there's cooked remains that appear to have been seasoned. Um, and we'll come back to that. Gross. Yeah. So then police um, find, remember how Vani was saying Addie kept a journal and she wrote all kinds of stuff and she was always writing everything down. So that was sitting next to the bed. And um, the police start to flip through it. And at the last entry is very noticeably different handwriting. And then they realize that what they've discovered is as promised in the note in his pocket is a full signed confession from Zach. So I'm gonna just read this full confession. Um, this is all just direct quotes from the, the journal. Today is Monday, October 16th, 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, October 5th. She had stolen this apartment, tried to kick me out, and would not shut up. So I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. Then I was posed with the question of how to dispose of the corpse. So I got drunk and passed out next to her on this very futon. The next morning, I woke up and went to work and worked until 9 p.m. During the day, I figured I should dismember the body, cook the corpse to ease the separation of flesh from bone, then gradually dispose of the rest in various ways. Monday after work, I came home and set to work on the torso. Halfway through that task, 
I stopped and thought about what I was doing. I scared myself, not by the actions of strangling the woman I loved, but by, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known forever how horrible of a person I am and decided to quit my job and spend the $1,500 in cash I had, been, I had being happy and then kill myself. I didn't contact any of my family, so that will explain their shock. It's just about time now. And that's the end of that. So suffice it to say, um, Addie and Zach's friends and families and everybody that knew them were completely shocked and devastated and in complete disbelief. And most of the friends that they interviewed in this documentary called Graveyard Love um, that I've got a lot of information from say that they actually don't think that, you know, this is, he didn't, Zach didn't plan or maybe even mean to kill her. It's something that happened as a result of two people who had so many dark, dark demons and then liked to add alcohol and drugs to, you know, as fuel on that fire. And one of the fights that they had been constantly having, probably this was actually kind of an inevitable outcome of one of those fights. When you add all of those things into, yeah. you know, the same, like, I was about to say like into the same pot, but that's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you put all those things together, it's combustible. So it was kind of inevitable, but still in, in completely, completely shocking. And then this is a, a quote. So Capriccio, remember who was out with him the night before he killed himself, not only is dealing with the horror that like he was out partying with his friend when his other friend had been like dismembered and roasted and burned um but this is still what he says about zach zach was not a monster though he desperately tried to make sure everyone remembered him as one and as we all know when stories of this kind of nature come out inevitably rumors get started so i think that it's like first of all let's go back to the seasoning Many people assume that obviously the only explanation for that is that he was eating Addie. However, in his autopsy, there was no like human remains found in his stomach. But again, that could be explained away with like, well, what if he hadn't eaten any of her that day or the day before? But I also feel like because in his note, he very clearly explains why he's going to like cook the body to make it easier to remove flesh from bone. I feel like he's admitting everything. If he was cannibalizing her, I don't see why he wouldn't mention that. And then someone's like, but what about the seasoning? And in my brain, I was like, well, maybe the seasoning was to cover the smell. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that is something that some, like some articles you'll read will like list some of these things that I'm going to mention as facts, but there's actually no proof of that. Right. So most people refer to Zach Bowen as the Katrina cannibal, even though there is zero evidence other than speculation because her body was cooked and there was, you know, the cut potatoes. And I mean, I don't know, I guess I can't say for sure. I don't know. Um, Another thing that's been stated as fact um, in many things that is also uncorroborated with zero evidence is that he um, defiled the corpse and committed necrophilia, which is, I mean, again, that's so horrific that I suppose even to somebody who's confessing all things, I don't know. But 
that's something that you read like it did happen but then when you continue to like dig into this there's actually that's not something that police say happened right and then a lot of people are also thinking that maybe he could be possessed by a demon because they've like we mentioned he was living above a voodoo <laughs> temple and that maybe the um voodoo priestess was like harboring or like a dark demonic force there and that somehow he had become you know what's possessed. the word for it possessed by a demon um so those are some of the theories uh, around this that have made it kind of like legend status in new orleans and um i don't know if i believe any i mean i i don't think i he was possessed by a demon i think he was i mean he was possessed by his it. own demons yes exactly he was possessed by his own demons, not a random demon that lived downstairs. Yeah. Um, and as for the other two things, I don't know, the more I like got into the story and like felt I was learning about these people, some of it just doesn't track. I mean, a lot, none of it yeah. tracks, but the things like necrophilia and cannibalism, I mean, those are two of just like the most horrific mm -hmm. atrocities a human being can commit against another human being. And even though murder and what he did to her was beyond yucky awful awful evil evil terrible but i just i don't know if i if i believe some of the legend around it yeah i think people like to sensationalize stuff because it's just like when you're telling a ghost story it's more scary and exciting and i mean it's exactly. and it's messed up but absolutely and and then did you hear about the woman who rents the apartment now Oh, Bloody yeah, Mary, so Bloody Mary tours. Her name's Mary or something like that. And she's gotten a lot of flack. And I kind of think it's, I mean, listen, I'm sure people want to go and see these things, but she's doing, she does tours of the apartment that they didn't change anything. It's like the same, you know, stove and kitchen and, you know, fridge where the stuff was found. So she takes people on like gross uh, tours of the, of the apartment. And the thing is, is you got to wonder, like, do you think when someone signs up for like, what was it called? Um, the Bloody Mary Haunted Museum Tour. Does the yeah. name of her? I didn't. I didn't even want to say it because I was like, I don't want to give you any publicity. Yeah. But when someone signs up to go on Bloody Mary's Haunted uh, to her museum and to, on a tour, I don't know that that anybody who was doing that at least in the beginning thought. For even a second that they were just actually going to be taken into the home where this horrific crime happened and like pointed out you know like that's where her this was and i mean because that's like that's fucked up really yeah and i'm sure those people are like oh my god it's so thrilling or grossed I, out i mean i don't know i feel like i'm a big true crime person and i love all things like scary and i love a good scary movie and i would i love a good haunted house but I would not want to do that. I wouldn't, I mean, I would sign up for something like a haunted museum and tour, yeah. but if, I would not be very pleased if that was what it ended up being. Yeah, Cause that's, that's crazy. it's just so, I don't know. It's so, it's so thoughtless. And yeah. I mean, this, there are families left behind from this tragedy and you're profiting off that of their sad. tragedy in the most direct way possible. Like it's one thing to share someone's story or, take them on a bus outside the apartment and be like, that's where this happened. Yeah. It's like you, I read somewhere that she's like a picture of the two of them. Um, maybe even that New York times photo. And then she framed it and then put like fake blood splatter on it. So it's like she added to the crime scene to suit her 
haunted mist. I don't know. It just seems pretty. Yeah, she's just as bad as Joe Exotic. Yes. <laughs> maybe worse. Uh, but maybe not worse. Maybe just as bad. Let's say just, she's just as bad. <laughs> she's just profiting off of, of horror and death and other people's tragedies. And he actually like murdered a bunch of cats and stuff. Yeah, which is really upsetting. So that yeah. kind of sucks. So there um, yeah, he might be worse, but she's almost as bad as Joe Exotic. Yeah, I you know, I've never been to New Orleans. Oh, it's so fun. I want to go someday. After all this, I want to go. I want to go to the French Quarter. I want to go to Bourbon Street. Um, But yeah, I will be honest. I will be thinking about this darkness if I, you know, while I'm there when I do go eventually, because it's just such a, such a sad. I mean, such a sad tale. Yeah, and New Orleans itself has so many sad, sad, tragic sometimes like almost seems like horror movie sad yeah. stories um it's a haunted place for sure well and it um, does seem like people go there who are searching right or something. to get lost to, to get, get lost, lost in a in a in a 24 7 party yeah it is i've actually only been to new orleans once in my life and it was when my husband and i were driving from new york city here uh-huh and we of course like planned to stay there that we were like we're gonna hit we're going to go south where it's warmer because we moved in February. Um, and we're like, but New Orleans, yeah, we're going to. And we didn't even realize because there was just so much going on in our lives at that time. So what was it? I wasn't paying attention. But we arrived like at the height of Carnival, which is the week oh my before gosh. Mardi Gras with all of the parades. So we ended up being like, we can't leave. We have to stay another day. This place is so fun. Yeah. Um, we ended up staying an extra day there and had the best time. But also like that's when they talk about this, the lifestyle that these two were keeping as bartenders and not just bartenders, but bartenders in New Orleans. I mean, my husband and I both bartend or we did both bartend before COVID-19. And even we were like, this is not sustainable. Like, I don't know how you'd ever make it out of here. Like, and I was about to make another terrible joke, but, um, but yeah, like it's just not sustainable. Like you can't live like that every day nonstop or you will not survive it in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a place worth going and it's beautiful and the culture is awesome and old and fun and the music. Oh, go to French quarter and bourbon street for sure. But go to, go to the, I think it's the jazz quarter. Ooh. Okay. And there's just like, just standing out. Don't pay a dime. Like the best freaking jazz musicians you've ever heard in your life. So cool. Oh, well. And I just want to end this wonderful uh, time with my Avrin and remind everyone to, you can follow her now at the essential bartender on Instagram. It's the underscore essential underscore bartender. And she's giving updates every week on new cocktails, tutorials. And they're so fun. I just got my mom. Well, my mom, my brother's going to do it because whatever. Anyways, the lemon drop one. She loves lemon drops. And, oh, good. I think yeah. she gets a, I'm pretty sure she gets a shout out in my tutorial. Oh, she will love that. Cause, cause I did that one because you said your mom. She did. She asked. And then, yeah. For well, some reason she you. can't quite figure out the Venmo. So my brother does it and then sends it to her. It's all oh, good. That's so sweet. <laughs> but you know, it's working. So you guys patronize her bar. Thank patronize, you. Patronize, 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 visit it. Yep. <laughs> And um, also, I know that we've mentioned this again, but uh, there is another lovely podcast that you should be rating, reviewing, and subscribing 
right after you do this one or before the order is not important, but it is connecting the thoughts. It's Vanya's podcast. It is so incredibly just wonder. It's like having the conversation that you want to have with everyone in your life. But it's not that easy sometimes to stay on track with a conversation or, you know, like people, it's hard. People Zoom cuts you off. You can't hear half the things people are saying. Um, and it's just so delightful to to listen to people answer questions that you want to know the answers to. Um, and, thank you. That's yeah. great. We Upcoming podcast uh, episodes, we have one on sobriety, which is very fascinating. And then we're um, interviewing a a senior graduated from high school this year. So that, I think that's going to be an interesting one as well. Yeah, both of those sound like they'll be incredibly yeah. interesting. So keep an ear. Yeah. Love you guys. Hey, anyone wants to send us any ideas? We appreciate it. Yeah, thank Diari, you. thank you so much for yes, recommending thank this. thank you, Diari. We appreciate it. And You're yeah, the best. DM us with more ideas, everybody. We love you. Bye. 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 Mm-hmm.